Welcome to the Plug-In For More podcast. Today we're talking about Tom's ride in a very old EV, one of the first ever. My Tanu cover for the Rivian R1T, and then the UAW strike and how that impacts EVs around the world. So Brian, super excited to have you back from yet another vacation. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough. Uh, it's tough. I'm glad to be back, though. I'm, uh, I'm not leaving on vacation for another day or two. And for those of you who have listened to this podcast before, we are not just replaying the same thing over and over again. That is really Brian's 27th vacation for the year. Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EV Universe is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Brian. So in our last episode, we were talking about Mike's tunnel cover that had just got delivered and he was pouting because it was raining and he couldn't put it on. But now, I'm assuming it's been two weeks. You've maybe had a chance to put your new tunnel cover on? Yeah, it's the manual tunnel cover that's been... Oh, just released by Rivian. Took a long time to come in, and uh, it works great. It's nothing's you know that crazy. Uh, it's four pieces. It snaps together really easy. Really easy to throw into the uh, into the rails for the for the truck. Um, comes with a really nice cover um, and bag, and then you can store that in the gear tunnel. I mean, it's a uh, it's a tiny cover. It works. How hard is it to pull it back when you need to put some two by fours or plywood in it? Because you do a lot of that in Rivian, right? Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, it's really easy. And so there's just a, a tab you pull and it pulls it right out. And then it's, you know, maybe a minute to to, uh, to deal with it. So it's it's pretty easy. Last weekend, we went down to the Greenfield Village Old Car Festival. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it's in Dearborn, Michigan. And it's a whole bunch of old vehicles that are all pre-1932. And they fill the villagers, you know, more than 700, less than a thousand cars. It's a, it's a lot of cars that are in this spot. And I've seen this car in the, in years past, but to my surprise, there was a 1925 Detroit electric and this car is pretty cool. And it stands out much like a electric car does amongst gas cars today. And it probably did even so back then I was able to talk to the owner of that car and even got to go for a ride in it around Greenfield village, which was super cool. Tom, that's cool. I've seen, I think there's a, a Detroit electric in the science and industry museum in Chicago. And I've seen the vehicle you're talking about on display in Greenfield village, but I've never been able to ride in it. Like, what was it like? You know, it's, it's got a lot of older components as you'd expect from a 1925 vehicle, but it's super smooth and it's super quiet and driving around the village, people are walking out in front of it all the time because they couldn't hear it. And of course, then it's the guidelines aren't in place in 1925 to have the the low hum that modern electric vehicles have, but we watched it happen right in front of us as, as we're riding around. That's cool. That's really cool. I think, um, I've never ridden something that old, but your story just reminds me really quickly. If we have any listeners in the Boston, Massachusetts area, if you go to the Lars Anderson auto museum, they also have a very old, I think it's a 1910. I can't remember off the top of my head electric vehicle. And they actually have the advertising for it as advertising towards women because it's a really defined, like you said, it's like a refined, if you think about 1910 cars, crank start, they're belching smoke, they're dripping oil everywhere. And they were, this car company, I can't remember the name of it, 
this off the cuff, but this car company was really tailoring it towards women of like, hey, have a refined experience, have an educated experience, don't get your dress full of oil, and having a reliable vehicle. Just kind of funny thinking 100, you know, 100 plus years ago, electric vehicles mm-hmm. being quoted as reliable. And your experience is just jogging that memory for me. Yeah. And like this particular car, like stat wise, like the top speed on it's 22 miles per hour. And it has a range of maybe around like 80 miles. So it gets not like crazy anything, but just a really cool piece of engineering of a vehicle that existed a hundred years ago. And obviously we got away from it at some point, but just electric cars aren't new, you know? No. I mean the, the 80 mile range, I think is pretty impressive for a hundred years ago. I mean, heck now, if you look at, you know, when we talk about used EVs, one of them is a Nissan leaf, right? And mm-hmm. that's something where on the, those early cars, you can get ones with a range now that's less than that. So, I mean, it obviously goes faster, but sure. I mean that. That being said, it's uh, pretty impressive for a hundred-year-old car. Yeah, and I did do a video on this car. It's up on our EV Universe Instagram and Facebook page. If listeners want to go take a peek at it as well. So I've been texting with my uncle a little bit, who is an avid listener of our show as well, but he uh, just went across the country in his Ford Lightning. So he left from California back uh, last Friday and made it into Michigan here earlier this week, and he's going to be coming up to Traverse City to visit actually a little bit later here. But uh, he made the trip. He went across the country and didn't have any real issues. Interesting. Reminds me of the article I teased a couple weeks ago about the gentleman from Winnipeg that abandoned his lightning somewhere in Minnesota and rented a car to make it to Chicago. And I want to talk more about that one because that article I feel is very misleading. I'm not saying that gentleman didn't have trouble, but I want to talk about some of the problems that the article talked about and maybe some troubleshooting trips, uh, tips for trips, um, because I think you're right. Like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of EV road trips that I've done and, um, your uncle can drive all the way from California. Uh, I think I think this guy can get from Canada. So the article you can Google it is uh, "Man ditches electric truck on drive from Winnipeg to Chicago after charging troubles." And so I was at first I was surprised because he has some pretty big uh, "quote unquote" charging deserts to go through. So I thought he was going to have trouble in North Dakota or in Northern Canada. No, he had trouble in this little town, Albertsville. And I'm pulling this up on several of the apps that we've talked about in some other podcasts, but PlugShare is a really good peer-to-peer app. And I have this pulled up, Albertville, Minnesota. And he said he tried to charge there and got a faulty connection. And then he tried to go to another one in Elk River, Minnesota, and the charger there wouldn't work either. So with 15 miles left on his charge, he decided to just ditch his lightning and, uh, to a Ford dealership or towed to a Ford dealership, and then he rented a Toyota 4Runner to drive to Chicago. So I'm not saying this gentleman didn't have any trouble, but if you look up on PlugShare, and the ratings on PlugShare is something I do when I go to a road trip, there's some of the charges around here are rated pretty high. The one specifically he had trouble with um, is rated as a 7.4 out of 10. Um, that's, that's a pretty good rating, but there's a few other level 2 chargers around here. One has... One about the best rating I've ever seen. It's got like a 9.4, 9.6 out of 10, meaning that thing is pretty darn good. And there's a third one that has um, a, a lower rating. But long story short, 
I would, if I could get this gentleman on the podcast, my recommendation would have been to him is have a, and when you're doing a road trip with an EV, if you're having trouble charging, don't wait until you're going to be at like, if you, if at all possible, wait till you're like at five or 10%. Like he, he said he had 15 miles left. He's probably at like 5% left and he drove past quite a few chargers to get there. So I'd say step number one would be, you know, charge your vehicle maybe when it's more around 15 or 20%, especially if you're on um, unknown territory. That way, if you do have a charging fault, you still have some range to go to another spot. And then two, plan on charging at places that pre- have pretty high ratings on plug share. Um, so th- like this plug share rating on this one's, like I said, in the high nines, like that one's pretty darn reliable. Um, and then I'd say number three is I'm shocked because he had trouble charging at some of these places that have the most chargers when he drove through charging deserts in in north dakota and southern canada and maybe rather than just abandon his truck could he have plugged into a slower charger that's that's like my third tip plug into a slower charger maybe grab some dinner or a drink or a bathroom break and just get another 15 20 miles because just down the road is literally a ton of chargers on plug share the map is just populated everywhere so i'm not saying this gentleman's lying in the article but I think he made it a little more dramatic of just quote unquote abandoning his vehicle and running a gas car powered car because he couldn't get to Chicago. Like, I think he made some mistakes. But Mike, Tom, what are your what are your thoughts? There can definitely be hiccups with charging problems here or there. But if you're planning appropriately and you're paying attention, it's not an issue. And most of your apps aren't going to recommend you going down below twenty percent if it can help it. Yeah, I think he's used to driving a gas car where you like get the fuel light on and then you stop for gas um, on an EV road trip. You have to plan a little bit more and uh, and just maybe map out. You have to do a little bit of research, like map out which chargers you're going to charge at. Go to a highly rated one and go to one, go to one especially where he was. I understand. I, I was shocked. I mean, listener, I was shocked. I thought for sure it was going to be North Dakota because there is long stretches of highway in North Dakota where there's no chargers. But he charged fine in North Dakota. He had problems in Wisconsin where there's chargers like literally everywhere. And if he just planned like a tiny bit better, he probably would have had no problem. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to the the mindset. And when you get an EV, you need to do a little more research until you're comfortable with what the process is. It's just a, it's a mind shift. It's a different um, sort of mentality of when you go on these road trips, what you have to learn, where you, have, you know, how these things work. Um, I don't think it's any more difficult than, you know, dealing with a gas car. It's just, there's things that, you know, you're going to have to pay attention to where you didn't before and other things with a gas car that you don't have to worry about now. You don't have to let the thing, you know, quote unquote, warm up necessarily because you're going to damage the engine. Like that stuff doesn't occur in cold weather. It's not going to be as efficient, stuff like that. I mean, there's really it, just the, the way that the motors work, the batteries work, the, the way the charging infrastructure is, it's different than what you're used to. And so when you make that pretty substantial shift, you got to do some research and I wouldn't recommend, you know, buying your first EV, not doing any research and then trying to drive across, um, you know, 3000 miles. Don't do that. Do some research before you do it. That's, I think that's my advice. Yeah. Go on a small road trip, go to like a four or 500 mile road trip, understand the apps you need to navigate, understand the apps you need to down, to download before you go. Um, you know, plug share is a good one you know, charge point, electrify America, a better route planner. We've covered these in other podcasts, but for newer listeners, those are like the most critical apps that I use for any road trip or those, those specifically. Yeah. And speaking of apps, I've had continued success with Apple maps and it pairing 
through CarPlay with the Mach-E and giving me a really good breakdown of what I could expect my battery levels to be when I arrive at my next charging destination or the final destination. been really impressed with that. Yeah, good point. And then for newer listeners as well, I've talked about this in the past, but go to our website, eveuniverse.com and get yourself a Tesla destination charger adapter because I've had extreme luck at charging at hotels overnight and road trips. Usually the hotels I've ran into have Tesla destination chargers and the uh, connector for a normal, you know, a non-Tesla, a different type of vehicle um, is super easy. You just literally connect it to the charging adapter and you plug in and charge it, charge overnight and on road trips. It's super critical to start off in the morning fully charged. You can really save a lot of time by taking advantage of your car being parked overnight. So go get that adapter. It's it's made my life so much easier. Um, you can't charge the superchargers, but destination chargers, it's worked 10 out of 10 times I've used it. Awesome. Great point. Um, one other thing, too, since we're talking about the education piece. So we have a little announcement with EV Universe that we have a, I think it's 37, 38 page EV guidebook. So everything you need to know about owning an electric vehicle, you know, the apps you need to download, the differences between gas and electric cars, efficiencies, driving, that kind of stuff. It's a really in-depth um, guidebook. It's free. And we're going to be pushing that out uh, for anyone who wants to download it. It's going to be on our website and we'll, we'll promote that. So we'll also put it on the, the website for, um, for plugin for more. So you can download it there as well. That will be ready uh, very shortly. So if you don't see it when this episode drops, it'll be within the first week or so. So I think it's going to be something really nice. Take a look at it. Um, and if you have any further questions, just hit us up here. We'll be happy to answer them on the podcast. Um, can we stay on the theme of road trips? I've, I've got two other ones I want to talk about briefly before I get to our main theme. Absolutely. So an influencer, which I love, is this woman called Lexi Alford. She's on uh, Instagram as Lexi Limitless. She was one. Of, she was the youngest person ever to visit every country in the world. Um, she has Guinness Book of World Records, and so as a, as a guy who likes to take vacation and travel, uh, she's pretty cool to me. So anyway, what I wanted to show or talk about was she just put up a story on her Instagram where she's driving um, across the world in an EV, and I think it's pretty cool because she's as she says a hundred years ago a woman. Um, set off on a journey, the most epic and daring ever taken to drive a gas-powered vehicle around the world. And she's going to do it 100 years later in an electric vehicle. Um, so I'm really excited to follow her. She's doing it in a Ford. Um, Ford, I think, is is um, the new Ford Electric Explorer. Um, and she just, she just um, dropped like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I have to go across five continents, 100% electric. I mean, I'm really curious to see. We're talking about like charging deserts in North Dakota. Like, I want to know how she's going to get across some of the charging deserts in Africa, in Russia, and some of these other places. I can't wait to watch her and follow her as she drives across the world. It's going to be really cool. So being a Tesla Roadster owner and enthusiast, I have to bring up the the first EV to do this, to go around the world, was the original Tesla Roadster. And there's a gentleman, um, he did it back in 2012, and he's doing it again. And I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Raphael de uh, Maestri. Uh, Maestro. Um, and I know he was just in Seattle not too long ago um, at the Carl Medlock, Medlock and Sons um, shop, getting some kind of tune ups on his way. But he's he's doing it for a second time. And I don't know about you guys. I like road trips, but I don't know if I would want to go to every single country. That sounds a little, a little much to me. Um, 
I mean, the roadster is not that super comfortable either, but, um, cheers to, cheers to all those people going, going from country to country in an EV. That's, I think it's pretty dang cool. Yeah. She says 18,000 miles and she has to start and stop in the same location. Mm. Uh, ocean, ocean crossings do not count. So yeah, Mike, I'm curious to see if she's like the first woman to do this or if she's the first person to drive further, like, cause she's saying she'll be the first person to get a Guinness Book of World Records to circumnavigate the world. So I don't know if that's different. We should, we should dive into that and see how that's different from the roadster. Shows the map. I mean, basically he went from California all straight across to New York. And then obviously he went across the, the pond and then, yeah, so he, he didn't go to every country. He just circumnavigate is what he did. Got it. Um, the first time. And that's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool map of what he did back in 2012 though. That would have been, that would have been a slow trip. There's, you know, you can't supercharge number one mm-hmm. out of that vehicle and there weren't really any to speak of, um, at that point in time. I and mean, there, there was a handful, but not enough to get them across the whole world. Interesting. So speaking of road trips, our, uh, our energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, who Tom knows really well, cause she used to be the governor of Michigan. Um, she did a road trip and she learned a few things about charger etiquette. Um, where was she going, Mike? Uh, it looks like she was going from Charlotte, North Carolina to Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, so not the biggest road trip in the world, right? No, no. It's a it's a decent road trip, but nothing like going from New York to L.A. But she had a staffer that was ahead of her that pulled in to hold an EV charging space so that when she got there, she would have it. Ooh, that's, that's probably a no-no. You probably don't want to do that. Yeah, and it's according to different news sources on this. It the sheriff's office. This happened in Georgia, um, where there was a kind of an, an issue with this. Uh, it's not illegal for a non-EV there to claim a charging spot. I am of the um, opinion that it should be illegal any place, um, you know, most any place, because I mean, if you need to, you know, get gas, you're not sitting there and just blocking that gas uh, station. Same thing with an EV charger. Um, but yeah, so they would block the charger and let her, you know, pull right in and, and get it. So there'd be absolutely no waiting, which, um, yeah, that's not okay. Don't do that. Don't no. do that. I mean, this speaks no. to my heart. You, Tom, Tom's helped me on this one because this is, this has happened to me a, a couple times and it, it just makes me so angry. Um, so I've thought about I've thought about letting the air out of the tires of people that do this, but I've never don't done do that. that. But I've thought about it. No, no, no. <laughs> don't, bad, bad don't put bad stickers Bryant. on people's windows. I might have done a, a big sticker on a window, maybe. <laughs> In theory, maybe. I think you Tom tells me I shouldn't do that either. Just, just everyone tells you not to do that. Your wife, me, Tom, your dog, um, <laughs> most creatures on this planet. Yeah, bad Bryant. I. I did have some uh, signs made up that are not sticky and they're just this paper that says, I don't block your gas pump. Don't block mine. This is my gas pump. (laughs) And I put those on people's cars. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel better. Okay. (laughs) Also, if you've received one of those and you're listening to the podcast is Brian's addresses. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Mike, I will, I will say you, uh, you talked about, Maybe hooking up. I know you haven't done this, but you talked about hooking up your Rivian and towing them out of the spot. I mean, I don't know if that's any better. 
No, I, well, one, I mean, it was a it was a joke. I've never even had to you know, <laughs> deal with that situation before. I'm just saying that the Rivian could. That thing has you know, 835 horsepower, 900 pound feet of torque. That thing could yank them, yank most uh, vehicles right out there without too much problem. But um, no, I have not. <laughs> I won't. Maybe. Brian. Bad Let's Brian. copy this flyer idea and sell them on the website just like in a booklet, like a 50, 50 page booklet. Good. It'd be easy enough. Yeah. I like that. Listener, yeah. if you would buy that, send us a note. We will make it for sale on the website. Sticky version or non-sticky version. Non-sticky like that. version. Let, let us know what you want to say and we'll, we'll, we'll take it under advisement too. If you've got certain <laughs> thoughts, you know, different, you know, please, you know, we've got children's ears as far as uh, what we can read. So don't make it too na- nasty. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we digress. Um, shame on you, Energy Secretary, for blocking chargers. Do not do that. But Tom thinks you're a nice person, so I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I, I am a fan. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, Look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. So I want to segue, if we can, into the main topic here, which would be the UAW strike that's currently happening against the big three automakers. Um, We're not going to get into the whys. We're not going to get into what the demands are, what the rejections have been, or the, the politics around what's being asked for because that's not our place. That's not our, our, our fight. What we want to talk about is as you, the potential EV buyer, the consumer, what it's going to mean going forward for the next six months to a year, if the strike continues. Now, as of this recording on Wednesday, September 20th, it's entirely possible things get resolved before it even airs, but we want to have this conversation because there will be ripple effects, even from what exists to this point. So we are also well aware that this isn't going to be evergreen content. And if you listen to this podcast in six months, it may not mean anything, but it, it could be the precursor for something more. I would say that there's a couple of sound bites I want to talk about that I heard from the UAW president. Um, this is their perspective. This is a quote. And like I said, we're not getting into the politics of it, but this is the quote from the president. We will not let the EV industry be built on the backs of workers making poverty wages while the CEOs of these big companies line their pockets with government subsidies. So that's their perspective. And then the automakers side, the big three, feel like they can't compete already with automakers automakers like Tesla, who have a cost advantage over the Detroit big three because Tesla workers are not unionized. So it's really interesting how EVs are taking center stage of this bigger, bigger, um, broader strike. Very interesting. And so you've got, you mentioned Tesla Nissan, Toyota, Mercedes, BMW, Hyundai, Kia, and Honda, they're all non-unionized car companies for their production. Mm -hmm. And so you look at, you know, there's a a powerhouse in Kia and Tesla for producing EVs. And I know Jim Farley had made a comment in regards to EV production and the money that they have allocated for trying to move towards a sustainable future of being compromised if they meet the demands of the workers. So EVs are definitely central to the argument, but it could have far reaching impacts if that occurs. Yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit. So, 
for the um, the folks that haven't paid too much attention to where the margins are with EVs for the big three versus Tesla. So this comes down to sort of the argument is with Tesla right now, their margins are really, really good. They have been traditionally over the last couple of years, they've been getting better and better. And that's allowed Tesla to actually make some of these price cuts that has angered a lot of used car dealers and a lot of buyers of these new Tesla vehicles because Tesla will go in and turn drop the price of a, of a new car um, thousands and thousands of dollars. And so people kind of lose equity immediately on those vehicles. Now, what's happening with some of the big three is they don't have the economies of scale yet on their EV manufacturing. And so they're actually you know, breaking even or losing money on a lot of their EV production right now because they haven't ramped up to the point that Tesla has. So I think the point that Jim Farley from the CEO of Ford's trying to make is that they have to invest in the production of the EVs, um, their whole production line to make it profitable. And that investment is instead going to go to the UAW workers and not going to go into that transition. So it's going to put them even further behind Tesla and some of the other manufacturers out there. Right. And so as of right now, there's 13,000 UAW workers that are striking out of the 150,000 that are there. So nothing, it's not a complete shutdown. It's, it's very partial, but obviously things could continue to get worse as they move forward. And I've heard about layoffs from the big three in different areas to try to combat the problems, but it's, it's going to be messy for them. And obviously once we pull workers out of the factories, production is going to slow down or stop. We know how that's going to look, especially coming out of COVID where we had a significant decrease in new vehicles. And we all know what happened there on prices and availability and wait times, myself included, waiting on the Mach-E. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think if the strike lasts longer than you know four or five weeks, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a body blow to the EV ambitions of the of Ford, GM, the Ram trucks coming out. Like all of these automakers have big plans in 2024 to push out new EVs, while Tesla and Kia and all the other brands that are not striking can just flood the market and. And let's just let's face it. If you if you gain familiarity with the Tesla, or you gain familiarity with a Kia or a Hyundai, will it hurt you then going back to a to a GM or Ford product? Like I don't know. Um, so right now it's it's kind of like first one to the market who gains the most um, comfort level might own the market for a while. So like I think the automakers are in a tough spot here. If they don't um, go to the mans of the UAW, then they're going to be late to market. Well, a lot of these other companies will have multiple um, vehicles out in market. And if they do, um, if the, if the UAW doesn't, doesn't uh, negotiate, then the UAW, I mean, the Ford is Ford. Jim Farley saying it's, it's, um, basically going to put the jeopardy of Ford in, in jeopardy for it to actually as a viable company. So I don't know. It's interesting to see and sit in the sidelines and watch this, which side kind of like blinks first no matter what tesla and the other manufacturers come out ahead on this one i mean they they've got they're getting the benefit because i i think with the big three no matter what happens they're going to lose in some way shape or form and i we saw with the with the covid um scenario with all these manufacturers and how that delayed like tom's car and many others in the industry what we're also going to find out is and I think we've all seen this is not only is it the production of the, of the new cars, but it's also the parts availability. So if you get in a car wreck, how long does it take to get that car fixed? If you have a piece that just, you know, breaks and it's under warranty, 
is that car going to be sitting at you know the lot for you know six weeks or two months to get fixed for something that's relatively simple just because they don't have the parts there's so many you know kind of spider web of issues that come come with this um I mean, it does factor into some buying decisions, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. I was just about to say, you know, Tom's Maki was made in Mexico and delivered, but a lot of the parts that I think, I'm just speculating, I haven't researched this, but a lot of the parts, I think, are still made in the U.S., possibly, for cars that are made other places, even if they're assembled in Mexico or, or whatnot. So to your point, just because the car is assembled in Japan or Mexico or wherever, a lot of the parts are still sourced from the u.s and if the strike goes broader than right now it just it sounds like it's a small version but if it goes into part supply another thing it's going to really hurt you know not only parts availability for new cars but for existing cars um as well so regardless how this stuff works out with the uaw strike and the big three obviously we're keeping tabs on it and we're hoping for a resolution that is satisfactory to everyone involved because we don't want to see anybody having to deal with the heartaches of not having employment or taking forever to get their EVs or whatever is going to come with this. Cause nothing really good is going to come for a strike, but uh, looking ahead to further episodes, we are looking into what is it, Mike? A special guest who was one of the first Tesla employees and who I know fairly well. And he uh, has some interesting stories to tell. So I'm really excited for that. He shall remain unnamed until further notice. Okay. And we are also going to be bringing an episode in regards to subscriptions that are being applied to a lot of new vehicles, whether it be like my Mach-E that has a Blue Cruise subscription that allegedly is going to end in December or BMW and their heated seats or whatever else. But that's a, a trend that's happening in all automobiles, but we're going to talk about how that applies to electric cars. I'm excited about that one. And, uh, yeah, sometime late October, we're going to talk about I'm getting new tires for my vehicle. And so talk about the whole EV tire landscape, because we did a podcast on that a little over a year ago, but a lot of good information for our newer listeners. And you get to hear my experience as I get new tires for the winter on my car. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Plug In for More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, EVUniverse.com. Until next time.